The horrific murders carried out by Charles Manson and his followers were largely inspired by his interpretation of Revelation chapter 9. Now, some of you might be too young to remember who Charles Manson actually is, but he was a cult leader in the 1960s in America, and he headed up what was called the Manson family. And Charles Manson was a white supremacist who wanted to initiate a race war. And inspired by him, the Manson family members committed at least nine horrific murders, including the Sharon Tate and LaBianca murders in August 1969, and possibly as many as 35 murders. Now, Charles Manson was, of course, an extraordinarily troubled personality, to say the very least. Um, but he was inspired um, by... Revelation chapter 9, or his interpretation of it, and the Beatles' White Album that were being released in November 1968 to carry out all these murders and try to start, as a result, a race war. Now, in this podcast, what we're going to do is firstly, well, we're going to do three things. Firstly, we are going to see how Charles Manson interpreted Revelation chapter 9. And then after that, I'm going to tell you why we're thinking about Charles Manson it may seem a really odd way to start a podcast on revelation 9 but i'm going to explain why we've done that and then thirdly and finally we're then going to explore revelation chapter 9 for ourselves and try to find hopefully a better way of interpreting it than charles manson did now revelation chapter 9 is one of those passage in scriptures uh, passages in scripture where people feel real fear and it feels like a really chaotic passage and i just want to assure you today that you don't need to fear it you don't need to be confused by it actually it's quite an easy passage to understand when we interpret it appropriately so that's where we're heading today but we've got a lot to get through in this podcast so if you're in a position to i would say sit back relax and let's get going with this episode of the Faith in a Busy World podcast with me, Steve Griffiths. Okay, firstly, let's think about how Charles Manson interpreted Revelation chapter 9. And uh, we begin with verse 1 that says this, Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet. I saw a star which had fallen down to the earth, and it was given the key to the abyss. Now, if you've been following the other podcasts in this uh, series, then you will know that there are warnings given by God that bring us hopefully to the point of repenting of our sins and embracing salvation. And God has got different ways of warning us and bringing judgments to the earth. Now, here we are we, in this episode, we're going to look at the fifth angel and the sixth angel. And the first question is, who is the fifth angel who blew his trumpet? Well, Charles Manson thought that he was the fifth angel, that his role was to sound the warning and that in doing so, an abyss would open up that would be the entrance to a new world order. And where was that abyss? Well, it was actually a cave in Death Valley. Death Valley is in California and Nevada. And as the abyss opens up in Revelation chapter 9, locusts come down upon the earth. We read in Revelation chapter 9 verse 4, they, the locusts, were told not to harm the grass or the trees or any other plant. They could harm only the people 
who did not have the mark of God's seal on their forehead. Now, this is really interesting when it comes to Charles Manson, because he wouldn't let his family members harm anything in creation or hurt any animals. He was quite happy for them to go murdering people, but he wouldn't let them harm creation at all. So who were these locusts? Well, Charles Manson believed that the locusts were the pop group, the Beatles. Yeah, John, Paul, George and Ringo. And we're going to see why he thought that. Um, firstly, in uh, Revelation chapter 9, verse 3, we read this. Um, and out of the smoke came forth locusts, or the beetles, upon the earth, and power was given to them. Now, we know, don't we, that the beetles were extraordinarily powerful in the 1960s. And then in uh, verse 7, it says this, on their heads... They had, they had what seemed to be crowns of gold. Now, the Beatles, one of their sort of names that they the press gave to them were the Princes of Pop. So the fact that they should wear crowns on their heads, crowns of gold, again, fitted with Charles Manson's interpretation of this part of Scripture. In Revelation 9, verses 7 to 8, it says this, uh, They, the locusts, or the beetles, had faces as were men's faces, but they had the hair of women. Now, the beetles had very long hair. And then in uh, Revelation 9, verse 9, we read this, Their chests were covered with what looked like iron breastplates. Charles Manson took that to be their guitars covering their chests. And then uh, finally, in uh, Revelation chapter 9, it says, The sound made by their wings was like the noise of many horse-drawn chariots. And uh, Charles Manson took that to mean that the lyrics of their songs were powerful. But it wasn't just the locusts who represented the Beatles. Also, the four angels who were in verse 15 were also deemed by him to be the Beatles. In verse 15, we're jumping ahead a little bit in our text, but it says the four angels, the Beatles, were released for this very hour of this very day, of this very month and year, they have been kept ready to kill a third of all the human race. How were the Beatles, John Paul, George and Ringo, going to kill a third of all the human race? We're going to come back to that uh, in a few moments' time. So um, Charles Manson believed that the Beatles were the locusts in Revelation chapter 9 who would bring about uh, social transformation through a race war. And he particularly found this in the lyrics to the Beatles' White Album. For example, there was a track called Piggies, and that this was an encouragement for us to rise up and kill the socialites, kill the rich. There was a song on there called Blackbird, and one of the lines is Blackbird Rise. And Manson's idea there was that um, the, the black communities in America should uh, rise up in a social revolution. There was a song on the White Album called Honey Pie that talks about moving from England across the Atlantic to America. And Charles Manson believed that the Beatles were going to relocate from England over to his community in um, California. 
and were going to play their part in the social uprising and the killing, which is what we referred to earlier, of a third of mankind. There was a song called Helter Skelter, kind of crazy rock song, if you know it, uh, a very, very chaotic sound. And Manson interpreted Helter Skelter as uh, the chaos of the of the battle to come. And then there's a song on the Beatles' White Album called Revolution 9. Not Revelation 9, but Revolution 9. It's an avant-garde sound collage, but Manson interpreted that as being a sound collage of Revelation Chapter 9. So this is how Charles Manson interpreted Revelation 9 and combined it with the Beatles' White Album and believed it was a call to social revolution that would be initiated through the murders that he and his family committed. It's really wild, isn't it? I mean, it is utterly bizarre that somebody should think this. How could somebody interpret scripture like this in such a way that there would be completely devastating consequences for so many people. Well, this brings me on to my second point today, which is this, that we have started with Charles Manson to prove the point that there are some really wild and wacky interpretations of the book of Revelation out there, aren't there? And all of them have something in common. And what they have in common is this, is that they do not contextualize their interpretation within the culture of the rest of scripture and within the culture of the period in which the letter was written. What they do is they take the book of Revelation out of context and they add it to something else, like what's going on in the world today. And they come up with these really crazy, wild and wacky interpretations. And these interpretations lead so many people to be scared of the book of Revelation. But there is nothing to be scared of. If we interpret it firstly in the context of scripture, and if we interpret the book of Revelation in the context of the culture of the day, then we avoid the kind of Manson trap and we can understand what the book of Revelation is all about without fearing it. And I've got to say to you, I believe that the next few years and the next few decades, it's going to get worse. The interpretations, the wild and wacky interpretations of the book of Revelation are going to get worse and worse and worse because we've got climate change going on at the moment at a scale nobody could ever have envisaged. We've got wars and civil wars raging across the face of this planet. AI is on the rise in so many new ways and at such a pace that we couldn't possibly have imagined. So I think these types of things are going to result in more and more wild and wacky interpretations of the book of Revelation. And what I'm trying to do through these podcasts is give a clear interpretation that brings hope. So let's assume that Charles Manson's interpretation of the of Revelation chapter 9 was wrong. And now let's look at Revelation uh, chapter 9 afresh and see what it has to teach us. But first, if you are getting value out of this podcast and you're on YouTube, then please smash that like button, uh, subscribe to the channel. That will help this podcast to get um, uh, uh, um, sent out to many other people. <clears throat> and it would be a real encouragement to me as well, which is uh, lovely. So thank you for that. Um, and if you've got any questions as well, then uh, please do uh, put um, 
a queue in front of your comment. Leave a comment or a question below, and I promise you I will get back to you as soon as possible uh, uh, to answer your question. Right, let's move on. In the previous podcast, if you have watched, listen to that. If you haven't, I encourage you to. Uh, the first four trumpets were blown, and these were warnings of God's judgment on the earth. And he uses the natural world, he uses ecological chaos to warn people so that they will repent and return to him and therefore be saved. Now, it's not saying that God causes uh, climate change or ecological chaos, but all that stuff is happening in the world and God can use it for his purposes. In this podcast, we're looking at trumpets five and six, and these trumpets as well give us God's warnings, not through ecological disaster, but in a different way. And what we're looking at is events that will happen in the world between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. Not specific events. We can't ever say that any specific event is prophesied in the book of Revelation. We can't say, oh, the Chernobyl disaster was prophesied, or uh, the Israel-Gaza war was prophesied, or climate change uh, was prophesied. You know, none of these things are prophesied uh, specifically. But what God, what we're reading is that between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus, you know, there will be wars, there will be famines, there will be diseases, you know, there will be persecution. And this is the the way things will be. So uh, Revelation 9 uh, verse 1 uh, says this, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. So, who or what is this star? Now, we know it's not a literal star because it says he was given. And so uh, we know it's a person or a being. Now, some say that it was actually a fallen angel, but the, the Greek word that's used here for fallen could mean fallen, <laughs> but it could also mean to descend, which is a far kind of more gentle image, isn't it? So, it could just be a being that has uh, descended from heaven. So in Revelation, uh, stars can be angels. Do you remember in uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, it says the seven stars are the seven angels of the churches. Now, these weren't spiritual angels, but they were messengers. They were uh, church elders. So maybe the star in uh, Revelation chapter 9 uh, is a spiritual angel, or maybe it's a human leader. We don't really know. Some people would say that this star is Jesus. Elsewhere in the book of Revelation, Jesus is described as the the morning star. Other people say it's Satan because uh, Satan in scripture was fallen from heaven to wage war against the church and against Christ. We don't really know who this star is, but the important thing is that actually the identity of this person, this being, is not what is important because the focus of this verse is actually that the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss, given by God. So what this verse is telling us is that God is sovereign. God is in control. God chooses to give the key or not to give the key. The star is under the authority of God in Revelation uh, 9 here and opens the abyss. 
Now, this notion of the abyss is not a common one in Scripture. There's not many times the abyss is actually mentioned in Scripture. We come across it in uh, Psalms. We come across it in Isaiah and Amos. Luke chapter 8, verse 31 is uh, one of the most famous uh, verses for us. Do you remember when Jesus uh, healed the person, cast the demon into the gathering swine, and uh, the gathering swine, uh, sorry, the demons then uh, begged Jesus to send them into the abyss? Paul in Romans chapter 10 verse 7 writes, who will descend into the abyss? These are the kind of limited uh, times in scripture when the abyss is mentioned. But whenever it is mentioned, it denotes all that stands in opposition to God. So the abyss is opened in Revelation chapter 9, opposition to God, opposition to God's people. And what's going on when the abyss is opened? Well, the locusts come down out of the smoke. So what I want to do now is just work backwards a little bit, because if we can identify who the locusts are, and I don't think it's John, Paul, George and Ringo, then we will begin to understand uh, the rest of this passage a little bit better. So Revelation 9, verse 11. They the locusts, have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. Here we have a king who rules over all that stands against God, everything that is anti-Christ. And in this verse, John names him as Abaddon. He says his name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he is called Apollyon. Now, Abaddon is the Hebrew for destruction. And in Job 28, verse 22, Abaddon and death go hand in hand. So this king of the locusts brings destruction and death. So who is this king of the locusts and who are the locusts? Well, John actually makes clear the identity of this king with some very, very clever wordplay. Now, John is being really crafty here because he says the Greek translation of Abaddon is Apollyon, but it's not. The Greek translation of Abaddon is actually Apollea. Now, John knows this. He knows this because in Revelation 17, verse 8, he actually uses the word Apollea to translate Abaddon. So why is he doing this? Why is he mistranslating the Hebrew word Abaddon? Well, Apollyon, the word Apollyon, uh, derives from the name of the god Apollo. And those people who worshipped Apollo, a key symbol for them was the locust. Now, who believed himself? to be the reincarnation of Apollo. It was the Roman emperor Domitian, who was emperor during the time the book of Revelation was written. And if you remember all the way back at the beginning of our podcast series, the emperor Domitian was persecuting the church, creating economic disadvantage for Christians, was really making life difficult for Christians. He is the king of the locusts, and the locusts are the Roman authorities who are persecuting and oppressing 
So we actually have nothing to fear from Revelation 9 because it's a metaphor that political authorities will oppress and persecute people. Between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, one of the signs of the times is that political authorities will oppress and persecute. So um, now that we know who the locusts are and the king of the locusts are, let's go back to verse 2 and uh, we can work through the symbolism of what John is saying. I think this is a better interpretation than Charles Manson. I certainly hope so. Uh, Revelation 9 uh, verse 2, it says this, He opened the shaft of the abyss, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. So when this abyss gets opened, there is toxic fumes emanating from the abyss and the air is darkened. Now, that's really important because uh, in biblical times, it was believed that the air is where demons lived. So the locusts come from the air. So political oppression is demonic. This locust army then uh, represents um, oppressive political regimes in the last days before Christ returns, who will scourge the world with domination. In chapter 9, verse 7, it says, the In appearance, the locusts were like horses equipped for battle. The oppressive political regimes are violent. Verse 7 again, it says, On their head were what looked like crowns of gold. You know, it looks like oppressive political regimes have authority, but it's not real authority. It just looks like it. Only God has real authority. It says uh, their faces were like human faces, oppressive political leaders masquerade as compassionate, but behind the mask, the oppression is demonic. It says their hair like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth, the paradox of beauty and ferocity in one ruler or regime. In verse 9, it says they had scales like iron breastplates, the almost impenetrable body armour of oppressive political regimes. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses running into battle. Reference to their words of violence and their words of threat. But as Christians, oppressive political regimes and persecution do not determine our ultimate destiny. They were told not to damage the grass of the earth or any green growth or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So this is a reminder to John's first hearers and a reminder to us too, that if we are sealed by God, if we are saved, then whatever happens to us here on earth, it may impact us in an earthly sense, but our ultimate destiny is securing Christ because we are sealed by God for salvation. So there's real hope in this passage for us as well. Now, the, fi the fifth trumpet speaks of oppressive political regimes. But the sixth trumpet that is now about to be blown talks about the ravages of war, not a specific war, but war in general as a sign of the times. The voice said, release the four angels who are bound at the great river 
Euphrates. The Euphrates was the eastern boundary of the Roman Empire, and the Romans actually viewed it with fear because they knew that their enemies lay beyond the Euphrates. But as fearful as the Romans were of it, the Jewish people viewed the Euphrates with hope because their potential deliverers lay beyond the Euphrates. For example, in uh, 53 BC and 62 AD, the Parthians defeated the Romans in skirmishes along the Euphrates. And then in uh, verse 15, it says, and the four angels who've been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. There's something malign and evil, I think, about these angels. Uh, They unleash horrific wars. They're being bound by God until the right time. But God is still in control. He still controls the timing. He's not the author of war. But when war comes, he can use it to visit judgment and to get us to the point of repentance. John then writes in verse 17, this is how I saw the horses in my vision. Again, this is one of those passages that people feel really frightened of. 200 million horse riders coming in war and vengeance. And we think, oh my goodness, is this actually going to happen in the last days? Do we need to be frightened about this? I say, no, we don't, because it's a vision. John actually says this. This is how I saw the horses in my vision. It's not literal. It's a metaphor. So we don't need to be afraid. And what John is doing is he is describing something that is similar to the Parthians at that time. It says uh, in Revelation 9.17, their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions and out of their mouth came fire, smoke and sulfur. Their tails were like snakes. This is actually a description of how the Parthian army looked at the time. So this is an allusion to the Parthians who defeated the Romans. And it's actually trying to get, John's trying to give us hope here and say, perhaps God can use war to bring his judgment on oppressive regimes so that evil will be defeated in the world. And then finally, finally, we come to uh, Revelation 9 verses 20 to 21 which say this. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues shall still not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. Now this is actually quite a sad thing because what John is saying here is that despite all the judgments of God, despite all the warnings, despite all the chaos that's going to happen in creation during the first coming, uh, during the period of the first coming to the second coming of Jesus, there are still people who won't repent. There are still people who won't read the signs of the times and return to God. How sad is that? And we've got to think to ourselves. What on earth has got to happen in the world for some people to realize that they need to turn to God? All of this chaos, famine, disease, war, civil war, oppression, persecution, and still people do not turn to God. How sad is that? You know, we need to read the signs of the times. Now, we don't know when Jesus is going to return, but we don't want to be numbered amongst those who have not 
repented, who have not um, seen the error of our ways and given our lives over to Jesus. We don't know when Jesus is going to return, but we need to be ready for it. And we have friends and families who may not have repented, who may not have faith in Jesus. And we need to pray earnestly for them and share the gospel with them so that they too may come to know life in all its fullness in a relationship with Jesus. So don't be afraid of Revelation 9. It's a beautiful passage of scripture that is basically saying in the final days, there's going to be oppression, there's going to be persecution, and there's going to be war. But God is still in control.